Welcome back to episode 62 of the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. I am Kenny Rotter, your host, and today's episode is with writer, producer, actress, director, <laughs> pretty much everything you can think of under the sun. Her name is Laura Adkins, and we had a really wonderful conversation about a couple of her short films that I saw recently and other projects she has coming up. Uh, we also talk a lot about hockey because she is from Canada and she is a huge Vancouver Canucks fan, so I ribbed her about that a little bit because they are not doing well. But anyways, I loved talking to Laura. It was a really fun, really fun conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as well. We will talk to you soon. Work out, nerd out. In the basement, rolling dice, rolling dice. I'm always When we play, we do it right. Candles flicker, fighting dragons in my mind. Hello again, dragons, and welcome back to the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. I am your host, Kenny Rotter, and today I am joined by writer, director, actress, every other thing you can think of, Laura Adkin. Um, how are you, Laura? I'm very good, thank you. Did how I, are you? I'm doing very well. Did I get a majority of your, uh, your uh, titles there? Yes. Um, the only thing you didn't mention was producing, which I think is just, I don't even really like producing, but I think as an indie filmmaker, you kind of get drawn into producing. Um, yeah. So you're like a, a quadruple threat, writer, director, star, producer. Yeah. Yeah. Hugh Jackman has nothing on you. No, nothing. That dude only except has muscles. three. Except muscles. <laughs> well, excellent. Well, first, thank you very much for joining us here today. You're very welcome. And thank you for joining me in a giant glass of wine. Yes. Well, we like our wine. What are you drinking? I am drinking a uh, Pinot Grigio. Um, I believe some sort of Canadian brand of wine. We have a lot of vineyards here in British Columbia, so there's lots of wine. It's also very expensive, so... When I go to America, that is my favorite thing, is how cheap the wine is. <laughs> well, wonderful. We enjoy plowing foreigners with our cheap alcohol. Perfect. <laughs> I will say, I am drinking a Chardonnay that was left here by some guests last week. And uh, now I know why they left it. It's not I'm not the... a huge fan of Chardonnay. Yeah, no, no. Not, not a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a question. And I don't know because I don't know the geography of the United States, let alone Canada. All right. I know both because that's what we do in Canada. We learn about the world. Have you ever been to Fernie? I believe it's in Saskatchewan. Fernie is in BC and I have not been there, but I know where it is. Because in Fernie, they have the Fernie Brewing Company which yeah. is an amazing microbrewery that I discovered in Fernie when some Canadian friends of mine brought me down a 12-pack of their beer. Yeah. Well, in Vancouver, where I live, we are inundated with microbreweries. Like, there is craft beer everywhere you look. I have celiac disease, so I do not drink the beer, but um, my boyfriend is a huge fan of the craft beer, so we're always going to new breweries and 
I'm drinking wine, but he's you know <laughs> trying all the different kinds. He says they're very good, so I take his word for it. <laughs> there you go. That's probably better than risking your life on that one. Yes, I think so. <laughs> so we met at the Hollywood Comedy Shorts Film Festival. We uh, did. That took place, I want to say, April 6th. Last weekend. Last weekend, but yeah. this is going to air in May, so... Oh, so that would not make sense. Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Easter weekend. It was Easter weekend, which... It was Easter. Which I loved because everybody was out doing Easter things, and there was no traffic to get to the film festival. Yeah, I, I found it was... It was. I was sitting on it at uh, one of my best friend's place out in Burbank, and it was like, it took no time to get into Hollywood. It was crazy. I know that's the one time that actually works. Mm -hmm. So, but you were there with your film. I only wanted, or I'm sorry, I want to date you. I want to date you. Yep. Which I loved. I was a big oh, fan you. of it. Thank you. But it was just, it was so, it reminded me so much of kind of Tina Fey, Amy Poehler style of comedy. Um, that is a giant compliment. Thank you. <laughs> you are very welcome. And <laughs> you probably didn't see it, but on it was one of the official selections on the blog uh, earlier today when we were before we were recording. But I, I had a question on there. And is it, does Holly ever get her duck onesie? Okay, so fun fact, I actually own a duck onesie, which is where that came from, <laughs> because I have one, which, oh, fun fact, I bought in Los Angeles. Well, wouldn't you look at that? Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's a onesie. It has a butt flap and everything, and it has, like, ducks all over it. So that's where that line came from is, uh, yeah. Oh, that's so amazing. Can you... <laughs> That makes me really happy that you own a duck onesie. Yeah, I own that one. And I own the one that Lisa Drew wears throughout the entire film. I kept that also, and I wear it oh, often. Is that, is that the zebra one? Yep. <laughs> so the my one experience with onesies is I bought four matching ones for my family one Christmas. That's amazing. So we unwrapped them, put them on, took a picture, and all four ripped or broke like 20 minutes later oh no they were well that's what you get for paying like four dollars a onesie from like yeah. some shady secondhand retailer mm -hmm. on the internet yep <laughs> <laughs> okay but back to you the reason yeah. why you're here um can you just tell us a little bit about um yourself how you got started in the industry what do you what really got you started? Were you more of the writer-director, or did you want to be the actress yeah. side? So I did my very first play when I was three years old. Um, I was the head angel in the Christmas pageant at my preschool. And I stood on that stage, and I looked out, and I was like, yep, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. And then I decided I wanted to play in the NHL. Um, so that was my plan. That was my life plan was to play in the NHL. And then I realized that girls don't play in the NHL and that was kind of a bummer. Uh, and so I was like, okay, I guess I'll be an actor. And so I've been an actor for a very long time. Uh, been in, I went to fine arts high school and, um, in Vancouver 
And yeah, I'm not going to say how long I've been an actor for because then you'll figure out how old I am. <laughs> but um, for many, many years, I was an actor and that was my my passion and, and what drove me. And I, you know, I trained in London, England, and I actually lived in Los Angeles for two years and went to the Stella Adler Acting Conservatory. And that's what I did for a really long time. And then secretly uh, in you know, where nobody knew what I was doing, I was writing and I wrote and I I wrote for years before I even showed anyone anything. And it sort of became this sort of thing that I did for myself. And then eventually I started sharing what I wrote with people and they're like, Oh, that's really good. You should do something with it. And so it's interesting because I want to date you this short film I made it. The reason that I did it was to showcase myself as an actor, but what it actually did is solidified the fact that what I really want to do is be a filmmaker. That's excellent. Hmm. I there's so many that there's so much there that I want to I want to talk about because I totally think you could have made it to the NHL. <laughs> well, they did call me the Wall, just so you know. That was my nickname. Were you a goalie? I was, yeah. I played for 20 years. Really? Mm-hmm. That's, that is incredible. Are you a Canucks fan? Well, I'm Canadian, so that's what we do. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge Canucks fan. I don't know if I want to talk about that right now because it's very depressing. I'm a season ticket holder. I, yeah, we suck right now. It's very depressing, but yeah. Do you remember 2011? Yes, I do. I'm a huge Bruins fan. <gasps> okay, and interview over. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't mean we we've had some good years and some bad years since then. Mm-hmm. Um, 2013 when we were facing the Blackhawks, I was dating a Blackhawks fan. That didn't go well. Yeah. That relationship has since ended. Yeah. <laughs> no, I remember that, but I really remember the '94. Uh, Canucks uh, Rangers Stanley Cup final Ooh. that like that sort of like solidified my love for hockey that that final because I wrote I was 10 years old and which great now I've just dated myself but um, I watched it with my friends and we were sitting there and I just like we lost by one goal it was a much more upsetting loss than even the Boston loss in 2011 the 94 loss, oh, it just like, it was like gut wrenching. It was so close. And I just sat there and I bawled and I bawled. And my, my friend's dad was like, Laura, it's just a game. I was like, it is not just a game. And I like, then that was it for me. I was like a diehard hockey fan for the rest of my life after that. Was that also when you realized that your parents can be fallible? Yeah. <laughs> when he tells you that hockey's just a game. Yeah, just a game. I'm like, hockey was not just a game. Yeah. <laughs> Ten-year-old Laura, just very upset about everything. <laughs> um, that's that's really funny. I actually, it's it's weird how I became a Bruins fan because I'm actually born and raised from Arizona. Well, what are you going to be like a Coyotes fan? No, no one's a fan of the Phoenix Coyotes. Well, no. I I will root for the Coyotes against anybody, but the Bruins. Just you know, I got to hold out hope that one day they're going to be good. I was actually really upset because. The year Jack Eichel and Connor McDavid entered the draft, they decided not to tank the season. Um, and I, I mean, like, I give, I honestly, I, this is going to become a freaking NHL conversation, but I, I give Arizona like two more years before they're franchised out to somewhere else. Like, it's not a viable city to have a 
NHL franchise in. But anyway, I, I, I love you. You're my best friend in the entire world. But, but it might be the Chardonnay talking, but they can thrive in the desert if they weren't geographically located in Arizona where they are, because they are an hour and a half away from civilization. Fair enough. Yeah. No, I get that. I totally get that. It's like you got to have it's it's so depressing, though, to watch a hockey game where there's no one there. Well, OK, totally agree. But OK, Arizona State University just made the move to Division One hockey. Mm. Like, like they were, they weren't even an NCAA team. They were a club hockey team that essentially had to pay to play. They had to pay other schools to play them. And they were doing so well and they were attracting so many, I don't want to say top hockey players, mm-hmm. but that they got bumped up to NCAA level. And now they, you know, they're the bottom of the NCAA, but they're getting better and their games are consistently crowded. It's just, you got to move the Coyotes to a location where the fans are and the fans are in the East Valley and the stadium is in the West Valley. Ah, gotcha. This is going to become a hockey conversation. So let's talk more about (laughs) you. Oh, I could talk about hockey forever so yeah let's move on or i'm gonna get like intense about it soon that that'll be the lisa adkin podcast part two cool i'm not sure who lisa adkin is but uh oh i'm sorry i was thinking about the your my director uh, yeah, your director funny. your partner in crime lisa ovies i'm so sorry oh okay. I, i'm glad i turned off video because i'm turning very very red right now there he is. Good. I'm, laura i'm sorry after i just told you that you're my best friend there. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, so let's talk about your new film that you're taking around to film festivals. Okay. Which is The Kiss Goodnight. The Goodnight Kiss. The Goodnight Kiss. I am just, I am, I'm hey. not, I am not on my A game right now. No, you're fine. No. Um, and, well, the one thing I saw a lot of familiar faces mm-hmm. from I Want to Date You. Yep. Lisa Giroux, that's, (laughs) she's my muse. I love that woman. So Lisa played um, my best friend in I Want to Date You. And so I wrote The Goodnight Kiss with her in mind to play the lead because I loved working with her so much. And I was like, I want to direct you in something. So from the beginning, she was in it. Yeah. And by the way, let's not, let's not get too much on my case for the whole Lisa thing because your actress is Lisa and then your director is Lisa. Yeah, and then my agent's name is also Lisa. It's very confusing. See? There's too many yeah. L's. Too There's many way L's. Too many. Yeah. <laughs> Lisa, Laura, what's happening? Yeah, it's very confusing. <laughs> and so how did how did you get the idea for that film? And for which one? I want to date you or the goodnight kiss? The goodnight kiss. The goodnight kiss. Well, it started out, so I was in sort of like a new relationship. And which like side note, the whole thing with I want to date you was the fact that I hadn't been in a relationship for a really long time. And I was like trying to date and I couldn't figure it out. And it was just horrific experience. So I wrote a movie about it. And then I was in a relationship. And so it was this sort of new relationship. And I kind of could see it going somewhere. And that really freaked me out. And so I thought, well, let's like start writing something about it. And I, I had this idea of 
looking at other people who I've seen and how we compromise in relationships and how, you know, we lose ourselves and how when we don't communicate, we just kind of spiral into this existence with another human. Um, so I don't know if I, I honestly don't know where my brain was at the time, but it was in this like new relationship that I didn't want to turn into something crazy. And so I actually, it all sparked. So David Lewis, who plays um, the lead male character in The Goodnight Kiss, he he had this idea of something. And um, and so I thought, okay, cool. We can, we can do something with that. And he was the person I was in a new relationship with at the time. And so I kind of took this to sort of like a crazy, weird, dark place of what can happen in a relationship. Because um, girls do this thing. We all do it. And I... I, I touched on it in I Want to Date You, and then I touched on it in a very, very dark way in The Goodnight Kiss, where women meet someone, and then all of a sudden, their entire relationship, like, flash forwards in their brain, and they, like, and it's crazy. Like, I don't know if guys, do you guys do that? Do you guys, like, meet someone, and then, like, in their brain, like, plan their whole life with them, like, after meeting them for five minutes? Um, no. No. But I, I, I think that men could benefit if they did because a lot of times we're like oh this is great right now Mm -hmm. and so we don't think ahead to is this going to be great next week next month next year next decade yeah so that's sort of where I went with this and I don't know what was going on with my I mean it was like two and a half years ago at this point but what was going on in my brain at the time I don't know if that was this was like me like self-sabotaging my own relationship but I wrote the film and then my boyfriend and I broke up (laughs) so that was a thing and then I didn't really think about the film and then I but I had submitted it uh in Canada the great thing about living in this wonderful country is there's a lot of money that they just like to give you to make movies uh if you know where to find it and so I had submitted for a Bravo Fat grant, which is um, a grant that is provided to filmmakers. And then I forgot about it. And then I got it. And one of the things with the Bravo Fat grant is you have to use all the people that you had submitted with. So I was like, oh, crap, I have to make a movie with this guy that I'm not talking to now because we broke up. Um, so I called him. I'm like, so we got the money. We have to make a movie. And so then we started, you know, spending more time together, obviously. And really like, he's very, very professional and an amazingly talented actor. And so we really worked on the film and then we shot it. And then during post-production, we got back together and now we're together and happy and life is good. So there you go. (laughs) So now I watch it and I'm like, Oh, I was in a really weird, dark place when thinking about relationships, because now I'm all like happy and wonderful and uh, all of that. But yeah, I think it just came from this place of being, I like to push the limits a little bit with my filmmaking. I like to kind of go where people are thinking, but not necessarily talking about. Okay. No, I can totally see that. And to be honest, happy relationships makes for boring stories. Super boring. Nobody wants to hear that. Like, yeah, so I see where you're going with that. And as a, I am a newlywed. I've been married about a year. Congratulations. Thank you. So I'm watching. I'm wa- <laughs> oh, 
that would be terrible to watch this movie as a newlywed. Sorry for that. <laughs> so I'm just watching this and I'm like, oh my god, this is what I have to look forward to. Um, but no, hopefully we won't, you know, drag a body out into the woods. Hopefully. Or if you do, you'll do it together. Right, like a team. Because we're a team. <laughs> what we found really interesting about this film is depending where you are in your own personal relationship, you view the film differently. And that's what I love. I love that people like have very strong opinions about it and are like, oh, well, it's this or it's this or it's this. And like, I know what it is for me, but it's for different people. It's different things. And I think that's really, really cool. No, and can I just say that I think that's a amazing testament to your filmmaking because – I believe that the purpose of movies and of entertainment is to make you feel something. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's like, it's like, I've seen so many movies recently that I'm not going to mention because I don't like bad mouthing people on the podcast. But a day after I saw the movie, I was like, what did I see? Like, what yeah. did I, what did I do yesterday? And then it's like, oh, yeah, I went and I saw X movie. Yeah. Well, I feel like as artists, our job – so I teach as well. So I I teach acting and I teach people. And what we talk about a lot is the fact that generally in life, people don't like to feel. People don't like to deal with stuff. The general population just likes to kind of just like do their thing. And how they're able to do that is that they watch movies and they watch television And they watch people feel and they watch people have real human emotions. And that is like the closest that they can get to having that. And so it's our job as artists to go there, like to really go there, to really feel, to really push boundaries, to really like live in a human existence in a film so that people can watch that and feel something that maybe they don't get to feel in their lives. Like that's why people love to go to the movies because they like, they like the escapism from their real life, but they like the idea of connecting as like a human being to something. Okay. So, but doesn't that beg the question? Shouldn't we as the consumers stop being afraid of having those feelings ourselves and actually seek to have those feelings. Totally. A hundred percent. I think I, I would love a world where everyone actually feels and connects and communicates like, you know, even just being, uh, when I was down in LA for this, uh, this film festival, And I was hanging out with a bunch of people and everyone was on their phone all the time. And I was just like, I just, can you put your phone down and look at me and like connect with me as a human being? Um, Yeah. So I think people, it's easy. It's easier to disconnect. It's easier to look at your phone instead of looking in someone's eyes. It's just, it's easier. So people tend to not want to do it. Uh, And I think that that sucks. I mean, I'm a, I like to, my, my boyfriend says very often, he's like, are you done? Are you done with your feelings now? Like, or, and I'm like, nope, because I say what I feel all the time and it's, can be kind of intense, but I, you know, I just, I like to communicate and be like in the moment with someone. And I mean, I get caught in it as well. I think we all do. Like our phones are these crazy things that just give us this like ridiculous instantaneous 
it's fulfillment, but it's not real. No. No, I'm absolutely, I wholeheartedly agree. And the fact that you and I get to take an hour out of our day and connect with each other, mm-hmm. I think is, is really cool. And then we get to let pretty much the entire world in on that connection and hopefully they can connect with it too. Yeah. Like, I just, I'm very much, cell phones, smartphones have their time and place, mm-hmm. but like, even, even I, I went and I saw a movie and somebody was on their phone. And oh I'm my like, God. I will kill someone. The movies is the two hours of my life that I get to full on disconnect that it's okay that I can turn off my phone. I can sit there. I can watch a movie. And if anyone texts me or emails me, I'm like, I was in a movie. Sorry. Like, Oh my God. People who mm, have such feelings about that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm absolutely with you. I, I enjoy, I like when I go to bed at night, I keep my phone in the living room, mm. which is. That's the a big thing at our house too, is that was a big thing with my boyfriend is he's like, no phones in the bedroom and he has kids. And so it's, it's sort of how I've really re- learned how to disconnect is by watching them. And the fact that like they're on their phones all their time, all the time. And it's like, okay, let's put our phones down. Let's play Scrabble. We play Yahtzee. Like we play games and connect as humans. And yeah, the no phone in the bedroom is amazing. It's amazing. And it's, I'm so glad that you, you do that. And you guys actually connect with like board games mm-hmm. or games in general. Whereas- Although I'm going to just say this, people don't love to play board games with me. Are you super competitive? Oh, I'm so competitive. I, mm, yeah, I get, (laughs) yeah, I almost had like a screaming match with my boyfriend's 13 year old son um, (laughs) because I really feel like he cheated and I really got upset about it. Um, I'm dying right now. (laughs) I'm I'm really, and then we played Scrabble the other day for the first time. Like, I've played Scrabble before, but the kids hadn't played it. And his kids are 11 and 13. And his daughter was, like, she was having a hard time because with it. So I was helping her. But then she was beating me. And then I just got very angry because I was helping her. and she, But she was winning. And I just, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, most of my family will not play Monopoly or Scrabble with me. Because oh, there Monopoly, I'm vicious. And then Scrabble, I know all the, like, two-letter, like, 36-point words. Like, Z-A like <laughs> and X-I and Q-I are words. What? Oh, this is good. I'm taking notes. This is amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, you drop, you drop like, a Z-A on a triple-word score. Or and Z-A, as we would say in Canada. Z-A, correct. <laughs> and, and H... If you can get a show on HBO. No, do you guys not say H? No, we don't say that. I'm like, what are you saying? No, no. No, okay. Okay. Well, that's just people probably. It's an Ireland thing. Oh, man. Best man at my wedding was Irish, and he's like, yeah, HBO. And then he also says Adidas for Adidas shoes. Yeah. I'm like, that's interesting. Anyways, back to board (laughs) games. (laughs) 
Um, you should try a cooperative board game where it's you and everyone versus the game. Oh, that might be good. Yeah. Some good ones are Pandemic. Okay. And then the Buffy the Vampire Slayer board game. <gasps> I'm a huge Buffy fan. And I really tried to get my boyfriend's daughter into Buffy. I was like, let's watch it. And she was like, can we watch Pretty Little Liars? I'm like, no, we want to watch Buffy. And she's like, I don't care. It looks old. That's what she said to me when I put it on Netflix. She's like, it <gasps> like, Ugh. so I'll work on her. Okay. Yeah. So same, same Irish guy who I was just talking about. Uh, his daughter is the most incredible young actress I've I've ever met she um they started getting her into Buffy around when she was 12 or 13 oh great and it would be this thing where they would sit down watch an episode and then two of their friends would come over who are in a same-sex relationship and when they get to season four when Willow comes out this this like 13 year old girl and these adult lesbians are having this huge in-depth conversation about human sexuality and all this craziness and i was like your kid is more well-rounded at 13 than i am at 26 amazing when i was was 26 i'm not 26 anymore (laughs) yeah fair enough yeah um so yeah no buffy's incredible yeah. Oh, I'm aware. I'm very aware. Um, <laughs> yeah. This this might be pandering, but have you ever written anything Buffy esque? Uh not really. So I I did. I I dabbled with a vampire story for a while, and it just it never really turned into anything. Uh, but I do have a pilot that I'm writing right now with a very kind of cool anti-hero woman character that does a lot of killing but she kills people but not vampires okay like a female punisher no like a soccer mom who is also a hit woman i'm very excited and if this doesn't make it as a pilot you should turn it into a comic book because i will buy the shit out of it yeah, it's well. I went to this uh, this thing, uh, some sort of panel with uh, a bunch of people. were talking, and one of the the people there was the VP of development for FX, and she was talking about the fact that what they're looking for is female antiheroes. And I thought, you know what? I really like that. I like that a lot because I look at some of my favorite characters in television, and they're the antiheroes. Mad Men, Breaking Bad, like these are characters that are not good people, uh, but are somehow endearing to us as an audience. And I think there's a a lot of male characters that are like that. But as far as when I'm thinking about female antiheroes in television, Jessica Jones is really the only one that I can think of off the top of my head. Other than that, it's like, me. No, I'm totally with you on that. And I was actually going to say like a Jessica Jones type character, but I didn't want to go that way i guess Mm -hmm. uh so that's that's really cool um i really hope something comes from that and please keep me updated if it does absolutely and anything i can do with my little old podcast to make it happen i'll be more than happy to help you well thank you
mostly because I've been on a huge kick lately of female protagonists. Right. Love it. Strong female protagonists. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just, I was talking, I was talking to a coworker today and I was like, I've spent the last X amount of years of my life watching cis white males be on my television screen Mm -hmm. and my comic books and my all this other stuff. And I'm sick of seeing the world through that point of view. So I really want to start seeing other points of view, which is why, which is why I love like Luke Cage. Luke Cage is an amazing show. Um, The Get Down, the Get Down on Netflix is incredible. What? I have not watched that, but I will put it on my list. Oh, it is a, uh, it's Baz Luhrmann driven. Oh, cool. I love him. Yeah. Great, amazing costumes, great music, phenomenal stuff. Cool. Cool. So you in our email chats have said that you are a big nerd and we were kind of getting that with your love for the buffster. Yeah. But what are some of your other favorite areas of nerdiness? So the reason that I wanted to work in film and television is Star Trek The Next Generation. So when I was little, I used to watch it all the time. Like, like I would just watch it. It was my favorite show. It was the only show that I actually watched. And what I would do, this is so nerdy and I can't believe I'm actually sharing this, but I'm going to blame the Pinot Grigio is <laughs> that. So I would watch an episode and then I would like go up to my room and I'd like lie in my bed and I would create. So I created my own character in the next generation. Generation, and I would replay the episode with my character in it and I'd like create storylines for her and like all sorts of stuff. And I felt like I was in the show. So that's immersive fan fiction. Yes. And I like, I would make my, <laughs> I would make my friends at school play like, you know how you, you play when you're little and you play like make believe and stuff. And I wanted to always play Star Trek and they're like, I don't know what that is. I was like, but we're going to play like we're on the holodeck. And it's going to be whatever we want it to be. And they'd be like, okay. I was very bossy, so I just told people what to do. And they were like, uh, okay, sure. Um, I don't think anyone cared or anyone understood what I was talking about. But everyone went with it. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. And even when no one would, I would just be like the weirdo kid who was just like playing Star Trek holodeck by myself in the corner. (laughs) I think the bossiness of that has served you well as a director. I think so. I think so. And I just I just loved the idea of Star Trek. I loved the idea that, you know, everyone could do anything. And I think that's I think watching that show and also having like an amazing single mom that I grew up with and playing hockey and I've never in my life or in my career felt like I couldn't do anything. And I, I hear people talk a lot about like, I'm a woman, I can't do that. I'm like, eh, I've never felt that. Um, I get I get the industry and I get how it works. And I get that like only 3% of directors or 9% or whatever are women. And I, I like I get the statistics of it, but I've never experienced it as far as, you know, discrimination or whatever, because I've just always had the mindset that I can just do whatever I want to do. So, and I think, and honestly, I think Star Trek played a huge part in that. And I don't think I'm the only person because Star Trek was a thing where everyone 
it's in the future and everyone's equal and there's not a like thing you could be a Klingon or a human or a woman or a Betazoid or like, it didn't really matter. Like everyone kind of worked together. So yeah. And to like pull that full circle. So that was my first like foray into film and TV and understanding how episodic television worked and understanding that I want to do that. And last year, I got to work on Star Trek Beyond. Oh, that's cool. So I had this moment where I stood on the the deck of the Enterprise, and we weren't shooting on that stage in at that moment. And I just I went on there and I just stood there, and I huge nerd. I just started crying like a crazy person because it was just it was amazing. It was amazing to be part of that franchise, even just for a small moment to be part of something. I mean, the shoot was horrific and awful and just like a complete shit show. I'm sure you saw Star Trek Beyond. Like, I don't even know what happened to that movie. That was not the movie we shot. But um, to be part of that experience, to put on a Star Trek uniform, like that was cool. Like that was really, really cool for me. So that's like, part of my nerdiness. Also, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. So my nerdiness like spans a lot of different, different genres and stuff. Books or movies? Huge fan of the movies, but started out as a fan of the books. And what I like about the movies is if you've read the books, you just like watch it and fill in the, in the blanks. Yeah. So it is, it's what, what's really fun about it. I really liked it when, they first came out and I like, I got all the books right away and side note, what is with America needing the, it to be the sorcerer's stone? I just don't understand that. I don't get it either. I think it's because our opinion of philosophers is poor. (laughs) Fair enough. I just like, it was very confusing to me that there is this like whole thing that was like different and the name of the book was different. And then in the movie, because I, I, I own the DVD copy of the philosopher's stone. But I, in, when I was living in LA, I watched the sorcerer's stone. I'm like, Oh my gosh, they must have actually shot this, these scenes twice. Are you serious? Yes. There's, there's okay. You're, you're blowing my mind right mm-hmm. now. There is actually, like, the worldwide release was with the Philosopher's Stone? Of course it was. My copy is called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. That's what it's called. Americans are so weird. So they actually, I'm not even kidding you, they had to shoot every scene that they said the Philosopher's Stone, which is what the rest of the world sees, they had to shoot it twice and call it the Sorcerer's Stone. We are so derpy. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy to me. Well, like, I okay, I kind of get that, like, on the sense that Vin Diesel recorded I Am Groot in, like, a hundred different languages. (laughs) But, like, because he wanted his voice to be in all the dubbing. Yeah, that's fair for him. So so I get it. But I'm like, that just doesn't seem... Like, I don't get it. Like, I think it is a very much like when we think of philosophers, we think of like Socrates, Plato, and just really boring books we I had guess. to read or in school. I guess, or you could just watch Harry Potter and just... Deal with it? Like, deal with it. I don't know. I think, I think if the movies, if it had only been the movies and hadn't been the book, 
I don't think it would have been a problem. But I think the fact that like someone, one dude, I'm assuming decided, oh, Americans aren't going to like this. And they, you know, he thought like less of Americans than he should have. And he's like, no one's going to like this. So they changed it. But then that's what everyone was used to. So it would have been weird to release a movie with a different title. I don't think it was some guy thinking America. I, I don't think it was a guy thinking too low of Americans. I think it was somebody thinking too high of Americans being like, oh, no, fair enough. <laughs> Americans need the Sorcerer's Stone. They need to, to make sense. I'm like, it's a, it's a kid who's a wizard. So <laughs> just go with it. <laughs> uh, love it. Love it. So when you were out here in LA, did you make time to go to the wizarding world of Harry Potter? Okay. So here's the thing. So my, one of my best friends in the whole world, Mirai, I've known her forever. I met her when I first moved to LA, like in 2007. And she's been one of my best friends since she is a tour guide at Universal Studios. <gasps> yes. So we, I didn't have enough time to full, fully immerse myself in this wizarding world of Harry Potter. So I did not go this time, but it is a plan for us to go next time. I did, however, go into the gift shop oh. and purchase a crap ton of stuff because Mariah and I went uh, <laughs> and had bottomless mimosas at Saddle Ranch. Okay, that is... A that will lead you to be buying a lot of things. What I did is I insisted on all members of my family taking the quiz on Pottermore.com to figure out which house they were in. <laughs> so you bought them all their own things? Yes. I love that. So everyone has gifts and the kids don't even have them yet because I haven't seen them since they've been since I've been back. Uh and so they all have very like house specific um, presents. <laughs> What's your house? Ravenclaw, obviously. Obviously, like, <laughs> not featured very much in the films, but it's really the best house. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> I was I was going to get my mother a I believe it was a Slytherin shirt. Oh, interesting. But it could have been. A Ravenclaw shirt. My mother said, is Hufflepuff. I made her that? also take the test. <laughs> but it said shrewd, and I knew my mother would take that the wrong way. Probably, yeah. And so I was like, mm, I'm going to get her a platform nine and three quarter shirt. Perfect. That's a nice safe. Um, <laughs> and so I am a Gryffindor. Okay, good. And I married a Slytherin. Interesting. So I have always felt, and when reading the books, I was waiting and waiting. I wanted Hermione and Draco to hook up. I really felt there was some sort of tension there, and I felt like it would be such a great story. Like, I would have loved it. Um, Not I, end up, you don't need to end up together. I just would have liked them to have, like, a little, uh, a little hookup at some point. A little soiree. I definitely... A little something. He's not a bad dude. In I, the end. You know what? I think it probably happened. It was just left out. Yeah, I think so too. Also, I'm sure there's websites with plenty of stories. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. So can I tell you my favorite story about Wizarding World of Harry Potter? Yes. So I was at the one in Orlando. And there they have both um, Hogsmeade and Diagon Alley. Wow, this sounds amazing. 
It is amazing. And so, but there's also, you have to take the Hogwarts Express to get between the two. What? This is very cool. I know. So, so super cool. But, and if you get in on the Diagon Alley side, you have to go through King's Cross Station. So all the people who are checking your tickets to make sure you can go to Hogsmeade is, are essentially playing muggles. Okay. So I go up to one of the guys and I go, excuse me, I'm looking for platform nine and three quarters. And he says to me, oh, well, platform nine is right up there, but I don't have any change. (laughs) And then they probably go home at night and are like, oh my God, fuck my life. No, because I was like, that... That like that is the one single story. Well, it's the one of two stories from that trip I constantly tell. That's and amazing. I took out a five dollar bill and I was like, "You've earned this." And I oh, tipped him, awesome. and I was like, "You're a wonderful person." Five dollars doesn't sound like a lot, but I was broke at the time, so everyone just give me a break. Um, Have you been to King's Cross Station in London? Like in actual London, England. If I was, it was over 10 years ago, and I don't remember it. Because they actually, at King's Cross Station, they have a platform nine and three quarters, which has a a cart halfway through the wall that you can take photos <laughs> with. It's pretty That's, amazing. The English are wonderful. They yeah, are they're wonderful people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do. I have been to um, Reading Railroad of Monopoly fame. Well, there's that. Yeah. Well, I took a picture there and my friend was like, I don't understand why Kenny was so adamant to take a picture here. And I was like, um, Monopoly? Like the Reading Railroad? The best railroad in the game? Come on, people. Anyways. He'll probably be very upset that I say this, but David's son is just the worst Monopoly player of all time. It's like. I watch him. I'm like, what? Are, he just he buys everything, and then he like gives away his money. Like he's just he goes bankrupt within like 45 minutes of playing the game. I'm like, you don't understand how to play this game. He's like, no, I have a strategy, but he always loses. He's the worst Monopoly player of all time. <laughs> Your strategy never yeah. works. No, he's like, but I have a strategy. I'm like, but it's terrible. I'm like, but you lose. He's like, well, I did on purpose. I'm like, but. That doesn't make any sense. So. He he knows you're fragile and he wants to save yeah. you the embarrassment of being beaten by a 13-year-old. I think that's that's honestly probably the truth. <laughs> he's seen you at Scrabble and he's mm-hmm. like, oh. Oh, God. I almost killed him in Yahtzee once. It was actually <laughs> quite funny because his dad and I were both like, he won and we both were like, oh, that's so sweet that you thought you won, but we both know you're really bad at math, so we're going to check it. Uh, and, nope, he won. He won. We, just, <laughs> we both honestly did not believe that he won, so we just assumed that he was, because he's not that great in math, and so we just assumed that he did it wrong, and then he's like, no, I did, and we're like, oh, it's so cute. No, you didn't. And then, no, he, he, was, he won. Yep. <laughs> that... I, I'm dying. I'm dying. That, that's hysterical. <laughs> I To be a fly on the wall, it's your game nights. Oh, God. It's, it's terrifying. Yeah. So if you could have any mundane superpower, 
Uh, what would it be? I don't know. I'm not a fan of traffic. So if I could like like teleport places, that would be awesome. See, that's not mundane. What's mundane? What's what's a mundane superpower then? Okay, a mundane superpower is you don't like traffic. So yeah. if I, if I when I was leaving work and I got on the freeway, I could tell exactly which lane would get me home the fastest. Mm. See, I live so, in Vancouver. We don't have freeways. We just have like really poor planning of streets. <laughs> so it's just like I, I think someone made this city as though like eight people were going to live here, and then like a million people live here, and there's no like there's no freeways or highways or anything in the city of Vancouver. You just have to like drive along residential streets to get anywhere. And there's bridges all over the place and there's water and like, it's just, yeah. And people are like, it's, it, people are too polite. It's like, you go, no, you go, no, you go. No, it's like someone just go. Like everyone sits there and like lets other, like, oh my God, it's ridiculous. I, I, I think the, uh, the Angelino in you from your time out here is, is definitely taking effect. Oh, absolutely. Like I, I really learned how to drive when I was in LA. Like that taught me how to drive. And I got back to Vancouver and I'm like, you guys, like I, I'm, you, you're killing me. It's like, I wish you could see me right now because I would show you like with my hands, but there's this thing that people do in Vancouver where it's like, when you're going to change lanes, it's like a, like a five block decision where you like sort of start to go into the lane and like very slowly, 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 like no one just goes into another lane. It's like, you, it's, it's ridiculous. People in Vancouver suck at driving. It's, it's awful. It drives me insane. I like, I, I, ah, uh, yeah. Anyways. Okay. So. Note to self, uh, don't drive in Vancouver because no. other people will drive you insane. I mean, you could like literally pretty much walk everywhere and we have great transit. I just don't like people. Like, <laughs> okay. Here's for for the, someone trying to entertain the masses. I do That's like really people. Funny. I just don't like when in my commute, I like to be by myself. I feel like that's my time. And I don't mind it in the summer, but in Vancouver, it rains a lot. So it rains and rains and rains and it's cold. And then everyone gets on the bus and then they're all wet. And then everyone's wet. And then everyone smells like they're wet. And then there's, it's just, I just, ugh, no, it's not my jam. I get it. I'm with now, you. The train I can deal with. The train is fine. But the buses, I don't know. I don't like to wait in the rain and then you get on the bus in the rain. It's just, yeah. I'm it's, with you. I, well, I'm not with you because LA has horrible public transit. So there's nothing really. Oh, yes. So I lived in Los Angeles for eight months without a car. Was this before Uber? Oh, yes. This was in like 2008. Oh, goodness. How yeah. did you get anywhere? Um, I took public transportation. So you had to I leave like three hours early. People driving me places. Um, and I just didn't do a lot of things. I just stayed at home a lot. Okay. That makes sense. I did, however, go on a date once with this guy who also didn't have a car. So we like had to take the bus on our date. It was, it's not. (laughs) Okay. What? For some reason it was, is that a scene in, I want to date you? It could have been. It could have been. We'll wait for the feature length. Yeah, or the series. I feel like I Want to Date You feels more like a series than anything else. 
that's the one thing about the film that really bothers me. And for me, it was my learning film. It's like I, I, I made it to learn how to make movies instead of going to film school. And I just, I feel like it's, it's good and it's fun and people like it, but it's not a successful short film because to me, a successful short film is a film that lives just in where it lives. Like the goodnight kiss doesn't live anywhere else other than that, those 10 minutes. Yes. Whereas the, I want to date you. It's like these characters are like, there's so much more that could happen with them. And there's so much more life outside of those 14 minutes that, it's like a great story, but it's not, it's not a successful short film. I'm with you. I can definitely see how you, how that comes about. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I do, I will say that I was left with a lot more questions with, I want to date you mm-hmm. such as, does she get the duck onesie? Um, and, and why doesn't, stud boy invite if he's such a great guy invite the friend to also dine at the end at the end so i you were there for the q a but basically like we had to shoot and reshoot like the film that i wrote is not anywhere close to what was on that screen originally um things didn't work so we had to do reshoots and a whole bunch of stuff happened and the ending i hated the ending so i was like we need to reshoot this so we shot the ending. So the part when the, when we all come outside of the restaurant was shot like seven months after we shot the other part of the film. Okay. And if you watch it again, you'll notice Anthony stud muffin way buffer because he was gearing up for X-Men. So he was in the, he had, he was supposed to have a much bigger part in the last X-Men movie and he didn't in the next one, he'll have a bigger part. But, um, so he was like buffing up for that. And he, like, barely fit in the shirt. (laughs) And it was also very cold. Like, we shot the original thing in Vancouver in August or July or something. And then we were shooting this scene in February. And so it was freezing cold. And But I was in the same outfit. And Anthony, like, barely fit into the shirt. And, you know, Lisa was fine because she was in a onesie. So what did she care? Uh, (laughs) But... Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Like it was, yeah. And then we did all the dates. Those happened. We shot those in April because we watched the film and, and what had happened is because some of the stuff we originally shot didn't work, we cut the film together and then I watched it and I was like, oh my God, this just seems like a girl who had one bad date and then she hates men. And she, I was like, that's not a story I want to tell. Yeah. Or like one guy makes her go crazy. Like, no, that's, I don't want to tell that story at all. So I was like, we need to show that she's had date after date after date. That's just gone terribly wrong. And that's why she finally loses it. Not because like one guy stands her up and she like loses her mind. Yeah. No. And to be perfectly honest with you, I couldn't tell that buff guy which yeah. I feel so bad that I can't remember. What was his name? His name is Anthony Konechny. He is a very, very talented actor. Everyone who's listening should look him up because I feel like the second... He's in both movies, you probably noticed. I did notice. Because he's so... There's something so awesome about him. I really... I, I enjoy working with him. I enjoy him as a human. And when I first met him, I'm like, you're going to be a star. Like, I will 
I'm going to put a guarantee on this podcast right now. In the next five years, Anthony Konechny is going to be an A-list celebrity. Ooh. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I'm he's, looking... Like, he's such a good actor, and he's so attractive. Like, oh, my God. Like, you look at him. I brought him as my date to something just because I was like, I need someone to look attractive next to me and make me feel good about myself. <laughs> Also, he's good company. He's a very nice person. But I was like, Anthony, I just need. And it was because I was trying to, like, make an ex jealous. Really. Mm -hmm. about. I'm like, I need you to just come with me. But he's a great guy. And he's such a good actor. And he has an amazing work ethic. And I just, yeah, I just see him just exploding and being amazing. So that's my prediction. So we'll see if that happens. I'm, I'm looking forward to that prediction uh, coming true. I really did enjoy his work. In, in both films, uh, it was extremely funny. Um, <laughs> he was very, he was, he came across as very genuine and I want to date you and yeah. very, very scared. <laughs> what was great about The Goodnight Kiss, and I'll tell this because I feel like he, he'll be okay with this. So I wrote it for him originally. And then I told him about it and he was like, ah, you know what? I've been working so much. I really, like, I just need a break. I don't I don't really want to work right now. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I texted him. I'm like, so who do you audition against? And he's like, what? I was like, well, I wrote this role for you. So I want someone kind of like you. So when you go for an audition, who are the people that you see all the time in the room? I want to offer it to one of them. <laughs> and so I, I, then he came back to me. He was like, oh, okay. And then it was like, Eight minutes later, he's like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is absolutely brilliant. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're ever up for a evil genius role, you should take it. Hey, man. I know <laughs> actors. I know actors. I was one for a very long time, and I know what... Uh... I know what their ego does and how to how to make that work in for my advantage. <laughs> but he was so good at it. I couldn't imagine. I and I did actually, honestly, I offered it to a whole bunch of different people in between the time that Anthony said no and then he said yes. That all would have been great. But it just it was so Anthony's role that when he finally was like, Okay, yeah, I'll do it, I'm like, Well, of course. Like it worked out that way because you are the one that's meant to play this role. That's awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> I have kept you for, oh goodness, almost, well, over an hour now. So in the interest of kind of wrapping up, is there anything that you use? Um, I know we had this giant anti-technology conversation, but <laughs> on your phone or an app or some sort of resource that helps you with writing or directing or anything like that. Absolutely. So, I mean, Final Draft, obviously, is what I write on. I don't even know if there's other things you could write on. I think it's amazing. But for directors, I'm going to plug something. My friend Zach Lepofsky, who is an amazing, incredible director. I've known him since I was 16. We, like, we didn't go to high school together, but our friends went to high school. So I've known him forever. And he created an app called Shotlister. And this app is amazing. As a director, it is the most incredible app you'll ever use. I think it's like, 
don't know. I have no idea how much it costs, maybe 30 bucks or something. I don't know. But you create your shots on your shot lister and then you can share it with your team and then you put like what shots you're going to do and how long you think it's going to take. And so on the day, like your AD can have your shot list or shots and like say like, okay, we've done this one and this one. And you can see like how far you're behind or how, if you're ahead, it's an incredible, incredible app. And you like, it works with final draft. So you upload your final draft script to your shot lister. And then, so it like has all the scenes already. And then you do the shots for each scene. It's incredible. It's like the most amazing app ever. That's really cool. And um, I will get the information from you after this. Mm -hmm. And we'll definitely include links to all that in the show notes. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, this, this app is awesome. Excellent. And where can people connect with you or your films uh, social media wise? Social media wise, um, I am on Twitter. I am on the Twitter, uh, at Laura Adkin, which is the same as my Instagram. Uh, my Instagram, you're going to get a lot of um, pictures of booze because I like to drink a lot and I like to take pictures of it. So there's a lot of that. I knew um, we were friends. Yeah, I know, right? Um, and a Facebook. I think I have a Facebook. Yes. <laughs> I don't, well, here's the thing. I really tried to do that. Like, this is my personal page and this is my actor, director, Laura page. But I find, like, I don't really share stuff that's not accessible to everyone on online. Like, if it's personal, it's going to be in my personal life. So I pretty much just use my Facebook page as, like, my, you know. Sure. I also have a website, but like it's really needs to be updated, so maybe don't go to that. Right Was now. it made with GeoCities? I made it with no, not GeoCities. <laughs> make Fire? It. No, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but it is like it's. I don't know. I feel like my production company and my school and like all of those things have been my major priority. So I have like flatheadfilm.com, like that's my production company. That's a good website. But my lauraadkin.com, like it needs a little love. Like I, I looked at it the other day. I'm like, oh, look, there's information of a screening for a film that I did in 2012. <laughs> Maybe I should take that off because if you show up at the Lost Feelers 3 right now, you're not going to see my movie because it was many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And so... Real quick, what was the was there is there any story behind Flat Helm Film Productions? Yes. So I my very first job ever was at Cineplex Odeon, which was a movie theater chain in Canada. And I was a projectionist and I was a projectionist for many, many years. And then I became a manager of the movie theater and then I was the manager in charge of projection. And that's what made me fall in love with movies, spending hours and hours and hours in a projection booth, cutting, splicing, putting films together, sitting in the booth in the dark, watching the film play on screen. Like it was amazing to me. And so I don't know if people know this, but when you would get the film into the theater, it would come in pieces. Uh, and then you'd have to put the film together and then we would have like trailers and you'd have to put the trailer pack on and do all that kind of stuff. And films came in either flat or scope. And, um, so on each, uh, on each reel, you would write flat or scope heads or tails. And so I spent a lot of time writing flat head on, on like a piece of tape to put on, um, uh, on a reel, uh, so that you would know which, cause you have to put like flat 
tail with a flat head and you'd have to put it together. Uh, otherwise your film would be backwards. Um, and so I spent a lot of time writing that down and I just, I said just sort of like an offhand comment to my projection buddy, uh, I was like, if I ever have, I think I said at the time, a theater company. I don't know why I thought I was going to have a theater <laughs> thing. I don't know what that was about. But I was like, I'm going to name it Flathead Films. Like, like, like it's here in the projection booth. And so, yeah, that kind of stuck. And now it like makes no sense because there's no such thing as film anymore. But <laughs> it is a, it's a throwback to my film projection days where you used to have to like kiss the film. Do you know anything about film? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. So like when we... To, to double check that you were splicing together the right pieces, you would actually kiss the film because the bottom part would be sticky and the top part wouldn't. So you act, you'd actually put the film in your mouth and kiss it and make sure that both sides were both sticky on the same side so you know that you were putting the right film together. You couldn't just grab each side? Well, no, because if you put the wrong... Like if someone put it on the, the spool the wrong way and you were putting them together, like you could see that the, um, cause you can see the soundtrack, right? Cause the soundtrack is like lines. Yeah. I'm doing all these hand movements. Like you can see me right now, but <laughs> you can't. Uh, so those things go together, but yeah, no, it was this thing just to double check before, you know, cause nobody wanted to be the projectionist that put the film backwards. No one wants yeah. to be that person. <laughs> no, no. That, I, that. And I, I, let me tell you, I, I did in my day ruin some prints, and those things are not cheap. Oh, mm -hmm. goodness. Whoops. You either, oh, the worst thing I ever did, this is just a small story, as a projectionist, the worst thing I ever did was, so we would build trailer packs. So basically what would happen is you'd have all these trailers of things that were coming out. And then with the film, there would be a list of trailers that you'd have to play. And sometimes it would be one or two. Sometimes it would be more, depending on the studio. And then you would have to fill it with a couple other ones. So you'd usually do five trailers. Three, like, had to be there, and two were, like, your own choice. And, <laughs> oh, gosh, I accidentally put a History of Violence trailer on March of the Penguins. <laughs> And let me tell you, some parents were not very happy about that. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm dying. Yeah. Oh, my no, goodness. No, they were not. I. Oh, yes. I got a very uh, intense speaking to about that. And I was like, eh, I don't know. And, I'm sorry. Sometimes that stuff still happens. I remember, like, someone put a sausage party trailer on Finding Dory. Oh, no. See, and that's digital. There's no excuse for that. That was me, like, grabbing the wrong thing and put it, and splicing it together. With <laughs> digital? I don't know how you make that mistake with digital now. I have you, no idea. You're lazy and you're like, oh, look, here's this animated film. I'm going to put this with this an other animated film, I'm guessing. I got to say, what kind of sucks now with this whole, like, movie theater is playing digital. I know it's great for the viewer, but as a person that worked at a movie theater, there was something really amazing. Because I was a manager, so I had keys. So I would be downtown Vancouver with my friends. We'd be drinking at the bar or whatever. And then we'd be like, let's go watch a movie. So, like, at 2 a.m., I'd just open the door. We would go into the theater, pop some popcorn and thread a film and watch it. And no one knew and no one cared. And 
that was like the main perk of working in a movie theater is that you could do these screenings like whenever you wanted to. But now with digital, it's all recorded and it's all on a computer and you can't play it if it's not scheduled. Oh. So I feel like it's kind of kind of sucks. It's robbing a lot of juvenile kids. Yeah, from- so I'm sorry all you young folk working at the AMC right now who wish that you could just, you know, watch that fast and the fate of the faster whatever it's called right now. Um <laughs> at one in the morning with your booze, but you can't. So sorry about that. Oh, bummer. It's pretty sad. And Sucks for them. <laughs> to cap things off, mm-hmm. what parting advice do you have for everyone out there listening to the podcast? I would say you're going to die. So do what bummer. You- Seriously, though, like, I know, super bummer. But you are. You're going to die one day. And then no one's going to care. So you might as well do what you want. Do the things that make you happy. Do the things that you're passionate about. Your job doesn't have to be the thing that you're passionate about, but your job better pay for the thing that you're passionate about. Yeah. That's what I would say is like, like do what you want to do. Do the things that make you happy, uh, whatever it is. Because, you know, one day you're going to be dead and no one will remember or care. So there's something kind of amazingly liberating about the fact. Like, let me ask you a question. What is your great-grandmother's name? Hobbled. Grandma Hobbled. Yeah, you don't know her first name, do you? No. On either side. And that is your relative from only, like, two generations ago, and you don't know who that person was. So... Someone said that to me once and I was like, whoa. And it really like, it really hit me. Like in two generations from now, no one will know or care who you are or what you did. So you might as well do what you want and what makes you happy and what fulfills you now and not worry about what people think or anything like that. Just, yeah. And also that's incredibly liberating because guess what? In two generations nobody's going to remember what you did. Exactly. Like you can do whatever you want and no one's going to care. So you might as well, like you might as well do the things that make you happy. That's awesome. Yeah, that's I, my advice. That is some great my advice. advice. Is that you're going to die. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> also uh, make a will. <laughs> I'm going to hashtag that hashtag. You're going to die. Hashtag. You're going to die. I really hope some people don't take that the wrong way if I put that on Facebook. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's the truth. There's like one thing in life that is for certain, and that's that. That is the truth. Mm -hmm. Laura, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that, and you're absolutely welcome. You're welcome back anytime, and we can... Bitch about hockey together. Oh, I would love to. We might get into a fight though, because you're a Boston Bruins fan. So it might get it might get heated. It's okay. You and I can talk about the Canucks and the Bruins, but not about the Canucks versus the Bruins. Okay, I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. Like on game days or if they're in a playoff series at some I, point. I think we're like eight years away until the Canucks will be in the playoffs again, so we'll probably be fine. <laughs> You're not wrong. 
Uh, anyways, <laughs> to everybody listening, thank you so much. Uh, we love you. We love your feedback. Please. Oh, oh, I totally forgot. Kin, do you have any screeners or is there any place people can see these films? Uh, I think so. I want to date you. We'll probably, I will probably make that public very soon. Um, the Goodnight Kiss is still in a festival run. So as soon as that's done, yes, I will, I will let you know. Okay. As soon as, as soon as you know, we'll know, and then we'll let everybody else know. I, I apologize. I completely forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, it's all good. All right. And to everyone listening, thank you for putting up with some of my ramblings tonight. I appreciate it. And we will catch you on the next one. Workout Nerd Out. Thank you for listening to the Dumbbells and Dragons podcast. Please leave us a review on iTunes as well as a rating. We would definitely appreciate it. And while you're at it, follow us on all social media at Dumbbells Dragon. That includes Pinterest, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Periscope, and Snapchat. Until next time, work out, nerd out.